Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan McAllen. Okay, folks, I have 1 p.m. Central, which should be 2 Eastern. For those of you that are just joining, I appreciate you popping in here. We are going to get started now. So my name is Duncan Macklin. I am the Chief Cybersecurity Evangelist for Operandus, which is my company where I get to work with some of the industry's top brands around producing compelling cybersecurity-related technical marketing content for their audiences, as well as some pretty let's just say interesting competitive intel for their internal sales and marketing teams. But I am also the host of Cyber Speaks Live, which is a podcast series dedicated to giving the InfoSec community a voice that can be heard around the world. And we do this by recording our podcast series in front of a live audience, just like you guys here today. And in fact, I am recording this session to be included in the podcast series. So keep that in mind. Uh, be part of the show. Be engaged and connect with me. You can see here my information on Twitter. Uh, I love being able to engage with my audience. So uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. So what you're seeing on screen here is a quick look at what I'm going to cover with you folks today. And rather than read from the screen, let's get familiar with some of the controls that are available to you guys. I would like for you to look at each one of the agenda items that you see here and find that chat icon in your Zoom control panel. Now that could be at the top of your screen or the bottom, depending upon what client you're working with. But tell me two things in chat, please. First, where are you joining us from? And then secondly, which of these items that you're seeing on your screen that you would like uh, to, to really get into today? What, what's the one thing that's of most interest to you? And I'll give you just a few seconds to put that in there again, where you're joining us from and which of these items is of most interest to you? All right, I'm seeing Abhishek. Glad to have you back. Vince, thanks for joining. Brooklyn, awesome. Great to see that. Okay, so you guys are getting familiar with some of the controls. Now that we've identified where the chat is, uh, if you have any specific question in mind for any of these items that we're going to cover, find that Q&A icon there and go ahead and submit those questions now i've got my dear friend l that is joining us l o punk are you there hey hey i'm here all right there's l everyone say hi l you know you always pop in say hi and then disappear into the <laughs> ethers and, and just monitor the q a panel let me give you just a little bit of a platform for yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe something the audience doesn't know about you already? Sure. Um, I'm Ella Punk and I'm a community architect, which means I build communities and I do conference speaking for a living. So I have the dream job. 
Um, I work with Operation Safe Escape, uh, helping victims of domestic violence. So if anyone, I'm gonna just do a little plug there. If anyone can help out and volunteer there, please reach out. We need all the help we can get. And uh, something people don't know about me, I'm actually extremely introverted and up until last year hated public speaking. <laughs> wow. You would not know that, folks, if you've ever caught L speaking at one of the security B-size events or any of the hacker meetups around the country. She's uh, a gifted one. Let's just put it that way, and, and probably in more ways than one. L, thank you so much for helping out. Um, be sure to keep an eye on that Q&A panel for me, if you don't mind. And folks, uh, one point of interest about the Q&A, if you do want to ask your question live and be brought into the show, Put that into your question so that Elle will know that this, this is one that you want to come on the show and ask live with us. Okay, folks, so let's go ahead and keep things going here. Like I said earlier, I do love to engage with my audience, keep the conversation going. Uh, feel free, if you want to, use today's hashtag winning talks as the hashtag to use for those posts on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can tag me if you like. I am InfoSecWar on Twitter, and the show is just simply at CyberSpeaks Live. So continuing on, let's start with just a little bit of a background. You know, what, what really qualifies me to sit up here and talk to you guys about giving winning talks? You know, here you see two different gentlemen, you know, a little bit of then versus now. So this is actually a photograph that was taken about five years ago at the Microsoft Worldwide Partner Conference in Toronto. And they had one of those professional photographers out there doing headshots. And obviously this is mine, good, bad, or otherwise. But uh, later on, it was actually used to produce this card for a podcast that I appeared on with Adaptiva talking about third-party application patching. And you'll notice that, well, folks, I had hair back then, right? So uh, anyhow, continuing on, this is me today, as you could just see there on screen. And notice the hair, or maybe I should say lack thereof. But you know, with everything going on with COVID, it's been kind of a, let's just say challenge. I, I think that's the best word to use to keep up that professional corporate style without looking like a mangy mutt. So, you know, it's just been easier for me to take the razor to the head and go with the mohawk approach. So if you guys can relate to the, those kinds of challenges with COVID, whether if it's what Elle was talking about earlier with homeschooling or simply just trying to keep your appearance up with keeping a professional cut or getting into your hair, hairstylist or barber, would you just type the word yep in the chat and let me know that you're still with me and that everything's good or that you can relate to what we're all facing with COVID today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there they come. Everybody. Yep, yep, yep. Yes. Awesome. Brooklyn, Ian, Charlie, Nicola. Vince, awesome. So clearly we're all facing some of the same challenges there. And, you know, there's quite a bit else that's changed between these two. So, you know, whether if we're talking hairstyles, eyeglasses, clothing, you know, a lot has changed in, in these past several years. And, you know, 
you could probably say that we're we're adaptive we're changing we're overcoming right and a lot of the same things can be said for speaking at industry conferences so i want to tell you guys a story of my first time presenting now to tell the story i have to go back to 1998 and actually this book that you see here the sms 1.2 administrators survival guide the companion for systems administrators and this is actually based off of microsoft's product systems management server 1.2 uh i was a contractor for cna insurance back then and i was responsible for the infrastructure of sms along with about 3000 endpoints that i was managing but I was really in over my head. This was my first gig as an SMS admin. And thankfully, there was this mail list that existed back then on the old swink.com back office administrator's website. And it was run by this gentleman named Stephen Weinkoop. Stephen, if you're out there, love you, brother. Um, anyhow, I'm in over my head. I joined this mail list and if you've never been a part of a tech mail list, basically you send a message to this address and it sends it to everybody who subscribe. And when they respond, everybody gets a copy of the message. It's basically like reply to all for the internet. So I'm in there and I'm in this role. I'm in over my head and, you know, I post my questions out there. Others are posting their questions. I've got this 700 page book at my desk and after a couple of months, I started playing this game with myself using that mail list in the book. Every time somebody would post a question to the mail list, I would pick up the book and I'd try to see if I could find the answer before anybody else posted it, right? And what ended up happening is that I would find two or three other things out about SMS 1.2 that I didn't already know while trying to find the answer to that one question. So after I went through doing this, you know, for several more months, it kind of hit me one day and it was like just an epiphany. So I started crafting a message back to the list. I said, listen, this is ridiculous, y'all. We're sitting out here day to day, helping each other, supporting one another, uh, getting over our issues, but we don't know anything about each other other than a name and an email address. Wouldn't it be nice if we could put together an SMS users conference and, you know, share our lessons learned, our best practices, our experiences with each other? Maybe it could even be sponsored by Swink. And I put in parentheses, wink, wink. Well, sure enough, Stephen hits me up and he and I start um, planning the first SMS users conference. And it was held in Huntington Beach, California that year. And of course, being one of the conference organizers, I was asked to present. Now at the time I was living in Nashville, Tennessee and had to fly to California. And by the time my plane landed in California, I was so terrified y'all. I was so nervous about having to present in front of a hundred people. 
that by the time that plane landed, I had stressed myself out so severely that I had a kink in the neck and I was literally tilted over to the right and could not keep my head upright. It was so contracted. Now, my talk was on the second day of the conference. So we had the evening dinner on the Sunday before, Monday and Tuesday was the event and I had the second day. So for a day and a half beforehand, I had to go around this conference and people coming up to me asking me, you know, what's wrong and all this. And, you know, I did the only logical thing that I could do at the time. I lied. <laughs> I couldn't sit there and tell them that, y'all, I'm so nervous about getting up and talking in front of you that I've stressed myself out with this neck and my muscles are contracted. No, I had lied to them and told them that I was in a car wreck the week before. It got me some sympathy points, I think. But um, anyhow, I get up and I'm going to give my talk. And I am so panicked. I am so terrified. I'm sweating. I'm trembling. Uh, um, I can literally feel the blood rushing through my veins. And I'm up there and I'm trying to stutter step my way through the first five minutes of this talk. And the words just aren't coming out right. And then all of a sudden I hit a stone wall and the words just stop. And there's silence. And I literally have no train of thought whatsoever. I have no words coming out of my mouth. I'm, my eyes are as wide open as they can be. And I'm just staring at an audience of about a hundred people and I can't speak. I've shut down completely. So I take my glass in the pitcher of water that was sitting up on the podium and I turn around, I look at the big screen, you know, the pull down screens because it is 1998 and we had this massive projector that had to be rolled in on a cart because it's so big and heavy. I'm looking at that pull down projector at my slide and I'm shaking my head and I, I just tell myself, you're losing it, man. Pull your shit together. They're not gods. These are just your friends that want to know what it is that you know. Turn around and have a conversation with them. So I took a deep breath, gathered myself, and I turned around as hard as it was to do. And I started picking people out of the crowd. I found Stephen Weinkoop's face. I found Rod Trent, Paul Thompson, one of the co-authors of that book. And I focused on them and the words started to come out again. And I got into a rhythm and it started to all make sense. Finally, it, it was like I, I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was trying to get across. And I was just looking for those friendly faces in the crowd, that confirmation that you're doing okay, keep it up, you can do this. And I did, and I finished it and I got a round of applause. It was, again, probably sympathy, but uh, I got through it. I got through that first horrible, horrible experience speaking publicly. Now, that conference evolved and it grew tremendously. And within just a few short years, it actually became the Microsoft Management Summit after they had acquired the rights. 
but that conference wasn't the only thing that had evolved and in, that had grown. I had as well and had done several other talks over the next few years. And by 2004, at the Microsoft Management Summit in front of 2,500 people on the keynote stage, I got up there with one of my teammates, Brian Rogers, and gave the second highest rated talk of that event that year in front of 2,500 people. Was I still scared? Absolutely. Looking out at 5,000 eyeballs, looking back at me, of course, it was scary. Did it incapacitate me like it had a few years earlier? Absolutely not. And I think that's the big difference is I was able to just have that conversation again. Except this time it was just on a much larger scale and with some much better audio video equipment as well. Uh, like I said, Brian and I gave a great talk that year, and we've stayed in touch over the years, even though we've gone our separate ways. Same thing with Stephen, Paul, Rod, Ian. You know, we've all gone in different directions, but we occasionally still find ourselves coming together and reminiscing about those early years. You know, folks, if you have someone like that in your life, you know, a former colleague that you just synced up with, you, you connected with on a personal level, and you've stayed in touch with over the years, value those relationships, value those friendships, stay in touch with them, reach out occasionally and ask them how they're doing, especially with everything we have going on right now. Okay, so what are some of the secrets of giving a great talk? Well, first, I've already used a few of those on you today. I've already... Uh, told you about my best and works experiences, right? And I've presented hundreds of times now across, I think last count was 11 countries, 35 states, and 87 cities. And I picked up a few things along the way, and I want to be able to share some of those with you. So what's some of the things that have already gone on that go into giving a great talk? And the first one is you got to tell great stories, folks. Audiences love hearing good stories, and it's for a few reasons. Number one is it helps them relate to you. Just like earlier, uh, talking about COVID and the situation there with haircuts and, you know, being able to relate that there's just challenges, whether if it's childcare or haircut situation or other things, feeling claustrophobic, like the walls are closing in on you. We've talked about this previously on my podcast, but, you know, uh, I, I went from talking about this modern day pandemic and turned it into a situation 22 years ago and all the growth in between. So you can also use it as a way to be able to transition between topics that you're covering, right? So it's not just that relation with your audience, but can you use it as a transition sequence from one part of your talk to another, but it can also help qualify yourself in the process. And while I, let's just say, while I've spoken to user groups with as few as a couple dozen in the room, I've also conveyed that I've spoken in front of thousands and kind of qualify myself along the way by 
presenting at all of these industry security events and picking up some of the things that will be of use to everyone here today. So again, you know, make sure you're, you're getting that relationship to your audience. You're using these stories for transitioning. And if it's applicable, building that credibility with your audience. The other thing that we've already taken part in and, and that I kind of slipped in on you is audience participation. And we can really achieve this in, in several different ways, whether if we're talking virtual like we're doing here today, where you, know, you ask them where they're joining from or what the weather is like there. Uh, you can do any of this kind of stuff just to get them engaged, get them in that chat, get them comfortable with using the controls, but you're also doing it to suck them back into the conversation during your talk. Uh, so while we're at it, let's go ahead and do that. If you've joined late and didn't participate earlier, just go ahead, pop into the chat, tell me where you're joining us from, maybe what city or country, and what the weather is like there today. I'm joining y'all from San Antonio, Texas, and right now it's a sweltering, approaching 100 degrees. It's, I think they said it's going to be 102 degrees here today. So let's hear it. Where are you joining us from? I see Brooklyn is in Tennessee. I know that Elle is in San Antonio with me. I, you know, while right? you're waiting for people's responses, I was going to say there is nothing wrong with bribing audiences for participation, neither. I've thrown swag at them. I've thrown candy at them. <laughs> uh, sometimes people just need a little icebreaker to get uh, talking. And once somebody does, the whole rest of the room follows. Absolutely. I, I've done the same thing. Now, I haven't thrown anything at them. I, <laughs> I have told them to come up and select stuff. Uh, offered up stickers and that kind of stuff. So yeah, anything that gets them engaged, you know, when they ask questions, you know, toss them a piece of candy. I've seen guys do that at conferences too. You know, they'll have these big candy bags up there on, on their stand. Audience member ask a question, they toss them out a, a Mr. Good Bar or whatever, you know, whatever it takes, but get that audience participation. Uh, let me go ahead. So I'm sorry, I just got a little, <laughs> a little bit off there. So another way that you can re-engage audience members, particularly when you're doing virtual events is with polling and stuff. Uh, L, do we have that poll that we can toss up there? Do you have that ready to go? Maybe not, let's see, polls. I do not, I did not see it on here. There we go, oh, I, yeah. I just tossed, tossed it up there. So I'd just like to know if you've ever given a conference talk before conference presentation see several are saying no already starting to split up yeah it looks like so far about 71 percent of the participants 75 percent i'm going to go ahead and end the polling I, I i think that says it all right there about three quarters of the audience members would be first time participants and giving a public talk so that's fantastic you're in the right place and hopefully be able to pick up some tips and tricks. Now, other things that we can do um, with real in-person events, you know, we've already talked about s uh, tossing stuff out to the crowd, having them come up for gifts, whatever, little swag items. But sometimes you just wanna ask a poll of your audience and it may guide how you go with the rest of your presentation. If you have that capability and you know how to fork that road for yourself. 
maybe you just want to say, okay, a show of hands and, and put your hand way up there. Encourage them to say, you know, or, or to show their indication. Show of hands, folks. How many of you out there consider yourselves a red teamer? And then look around the audience. Let them know you're wanting to see those hands go up. Then lower your hand. Now, if it's a multiple choice question, maybe you want to know, all right, how many of you folks are blue teamers? Would consider yourselves the protectors and defenders. You know, Use your other hand when you do that. It shows that you're going at both sides of this equation. So that's a good way to be able to get your audience engaged in help them identify with you and identify with their other cohorts in that audience. And it's a way basically for you to be able to know your audience. But you also have to know the conference itself, especially if you've submitted a talk and it's been accepted for a conference that you've never actually attended yourself before. Now, the type of talk that you give in the look and feel of your slide and you individually can vary greatly depending on um, the type of event that you're at. How you look, what your deck says, or, or what it looks like. The things that you can get away with saying on stage can be really night and day from each other based on the type of conference that you're at. What you say and do at a DEF CON conference, for example, may not work so well when you're talking the likes of a RSA conference or Gartner's Risk Summit. The audiences at, at these events couldn't be more different. You know, think about it. How many shirt and ties do you see at a DEF CON event versus Gartner? You know, similarly, the roles that are represented at these types of events are equally different. We're talking the CISOs and CIOs and you know even lawyers showing up at RSA and Gartner, whereas we're looking at more red team pen testers and Azure security architects showing up at things like DEF CON and B-Size events. So you got to know the event itself and know the audiences that are there. Some of these events are even going to have codes of conduct and dress code policy that have to be adhered to specifically to speakers. You know, some conferences are going to require the speakers to wear a conference themed t-shirt or, or jacket every day of the event. You know, now that's not a huge deal in my mind if they're going to provide it, you know, I get free swag, but it's still something to be aware of and in going into it. Uh, now, L, I know you have some particular views on this that, may differ from mine. What do you think about that? I think that if you are going to do public speaking and conference talks as part of your career, part of your everyday, it's not going to be a one-off, then it's important to develop your own style. It's about to develop your own brand name. And as for me, I will wear the required shirt during my talk or while I am working during that event, only during that time, unless I am paid to go to that event. If they pay me to go and speak, then all right, I'm an employee, I will follow the rules. Otherwise, I'm a volunteer and I want a little bit of leeway. So people know me by my hair, they know me by my style, that's the way that they find me. And I think that's perfectly okay for you to set those standards. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sorry if you were seeing me switch back and forth. I, <laughs> I was having a little bit of technical issue with my stream deck. I agree, you know, find your style. 
but if they're paying for your attendance, uh, if in even if they're comping your conference pass, which you know some of these events, you know the Microsoft Management Summit, for example, you know it was like a fifteen hundred dollar conference. Yeah, you know, I'm going to do what they ask of me as a speaker. And you know, I, and I'm going to argue with that, but I will not speak at a conference that requires me to pay to attend. If you want me to go, oh, absolutely. You want me to, yeah. yeah. No, uh, I'm I'm not paying to attend your conference. And some of these conferences will pay for your airfare, hotel, conference pass. Some may not cover your travel. These are some of the other things that you need to consider with which conferences you're able to submit to and which ones you're not. Now, throughout my career, I've always had my companies pay for any expenses that weren't picked up by the conference itself. But just keep that in mind. One of the other interesting things that some of these conferences will do is require that you co-present with someone that they choose. Now, that for me is a deal breaker. Absolutely not. It's not that I have a problem co-presenting. I already told you guys earlier, one of my best talks ever was co-presented with one of my teammates. I have no issue with that, I, but I want to be able to choose with who and when I am co-presenting. That is not going to be something that gets forced upon me. Now, like Al was saying, you know, some of you may be thinking about these stipulations and say, screw that, I'm not changing who I am for them. And that's fine. You know, you can pick and choose where you want to present. Just know some of these conferences may not be for you and they may not be ones that you want to speak at. Just know your audience and know the conference itself and the requirements that go in as a presenter. All right. So you know where you want to present. Now, how do you choose a killer topic? How do you get selected to speak at an industry conference? You know, first and foremost, you have to have that, that killer topic. And these organizers, especially the main paid events like we were just talking about, look for talks that are captivating, that draw in as many people as possible, as well as sponsors, right? Uh, that's how most of these conferences are facilitated is through sponsorship dollars in all conferences, whether if they're paid or not, they are looking to provide their attendees with top notch content that can help their attendees with their day to day jobs. Right? So when you're ready to take the plunge and begin giving talks, think about what it is in your role today that helps you the most. And is this something that could be a benefit to others by them knowing about as well? Is it something that's already covered by dozens of other events? Uh, or is it more unique in nature? You know, if it's something that's already being covered and, and saturated in the market, then you're probably unlikely to be selected. Uh, you know, these organizers, they, they want timely and, and fresh relevant topics that are going to appeal to their audiences, basically. So again, know your conference, know your audience, but you also have to know the market as well. So try to find that niche element that's not being talked about by every Tom, Dick, and Jane out there. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't take on an old topic and give a fresh spin on it. You know, I, for example, I, I did this series of talks that was based on vulnerability management and specifically third-party application uh, vulnerability management with Microsoft's SECM product. 
and it turned out to be a talk based on at the time the hugely popular game of thrones series and it was a really well received talk and i was able to give it all throughout europe and the us but you know i was taking this old topic of vulnerability management giving it this fresh new spin talking about be, being able to do third-party patch management inside of Microsoft's systems management product, which didn't have that natively built into it. So uh, it, it was a way to just basically find that niche, right? So that's key to this is make sure that you're trying to stand out above the crowd because these conference organizers, they are looking at dozens, if not hundreds of submissions and it's got to capture their attention, capture their interest, because that's what they're looking for is the interest in their audience. Uh, which brings up another good point. A lot of these cybersecurity events that you may submit to are going to ask if you presented this topic before. Now, this almost seems like a trick question, y'all, because you never know if these organizers really want to know if you've got this down pat or if you're going to be providing a unique experience. So you don't know if they're trying to figure out that you've already presented this six times this year, they don't want to see it again, or you presented this six times, he's going to ace it, knows this topic inside or out. Whatever the case, just be honest when you're submitting. Don't try to play the system because it is going to come back to get you. Elle, did you have something to add? I did. If Once you give a talk, update it. Put new information based on audience uh, participation, audience reaction, and when you submit your CFP comments on that. A previous version of this talk has been submitted, however, and that way you get the best of both. It's new information, and they know you've already presented it. Yeah, perfect suggestion. Thank you for adding that. Okay, so continuing on, let's go to what Elle was just talking about, that CFP response or call for paper, call for presentation. Um, you know, with these, we've got to, again, think about this as almost selling a product, right? Except in this case, the product is you, the product is your talk. You want to be using compelling verbs and adjectives. Be sure folks that you are spell checking and grammar checking your work. I cannot stress that enough. If you're gonna present a sloppy CFP response, don't expect the selection committee to choose you. Regardless of how killer your topic is, if you're already showing signs of sloppiness from the get-go, it's gonna reflect poorly on you. And you can pretty much bet that you're not going to be chosen. So again, spell check your work, grammar check it, have somebody else review it before you hit that submit. Like Elle was saying earlier, if you presented this topic previously, but you've updated it for newer versions, updated releases, feedback from audience participation, any of those things, be sure to put that in there as well. So, as I've stated before, um, when 
you're presenting, let, let's just get into to the decks, okay? First and foremost, you've got to understand the premise of the conference. You've got to know who you're presenting to, to be able to build your deck to support that type of audience and support that kind of conference. Now, before you get into any of it, check to make sure that the conference isn't going to supply you or if they are going to supply you a template first, that's going to be first and foremost. The worst thing that you can do is sit there and spend a whole bunch of time and effort getting your deck down, looks great, you're happy with it, only to find out that they're supplying a template and now you have to reformat everything to work with it. So check with the conference organizers before you even start to see if they're going to supply a template or if there's any other elements that they want you to include. Maybe they want you to add the B-side San Antonio logo to every slide on your deck. If that's the case, it may end up changing the look and feel of your deck and you'll want to account for that. So check with the conference organizers before you do anything. Then the next step is you know, make sure that you're using consistent template-based formatting. Uh, avoid things like mix and fonts and, and color palette, shapes, what have you. You know, these are things that tend to distract your audience, defocusing them from what it is you're trying to get across rather than just using, you know, the, that standardized formatting throughout your entire presentation. Also, I recommend limiting the use of your bullet points to three to five per slide. Think of it like flashcards. You're trying to get across as much information in as few as words possible and in including those bullet points. The last thing anybody wants to be doing while you're presenting is looking at an eye chart, right? So try to be consistent. Use no more than three to five bullet points per slide. And also, you know, what we were just talking about with the eye charts try to create visually impaired aware slide decks. You'll notice that I'm using, you know, some high contrast, black and white, things stand out, large fonts. You know, as someone who has herniated both retinas due, it, due to just medical complications, uh, you know, I now have permanent visual impairedness. So presenters that take this into consideration, I'm very grateful for, you know, there's roughly 8% of males out there are colorblind. You know, so think about these kinds of things when you're putting your decks together and try to be sensitive to those uh, that may have visual impairedness in your audience. Next thing that I recommend, and L kind of gave me a hard time about this, but I use the speaker's notes section of my slide decks to practice what I plan to say by typing as verbosely as possible what I plan to say for each slide. Now, th this also serves the purpose of providing contextual awareness for those that are downloading your slides afterwards, right? I hate, absolutely hate giving out my decks without having slide notes included because you lose all the context of what's on screen when they're looking at that PowerPoint deck. Without those speaker notes, all you're seeing is what's in the slide itself. And you can't necessarily get what 
the speaker was trying to get across. So I use that because not only does it help me get prepared for my talk by having to actually put hands on the keyboard and type what I plan to say, it gets that rehearsal of the speak, gets the flow down, but it's also what I end up using as the downloadable content. And by the way, if you're wondering, yes, today's deck is going to be made available for download. In fact, when we get to the end, you'll be able to hit the link and it's updated to the minute and you're going to see how we go about that. But it does involve the next item, uh, which is create a short URL to share your deck. If you're using something like Dropbox or Google Drive or one of those you know, cloud storage services, it's going to create a shareable link for you, but those can tend to be pretty long and very difficult to remember or write down while you're presenting. So if you want to let your audience download your decks after you're done without you having to email each individual requester, using a file sharing service is great, but using it in conjunction with a URL shortener is perfect because now you can create your own little custom URL. And I use tinyurl.com because it's just been around forever. And it's one of the few ones that's free and it lets you create a custom short URL for you to use. So I combine that with my Dropbox account. So I'm able to update locally right up to the minute before I take the stage and those that uh, those changes that I make will automatically be reflected in the downloadable version without me having to do anything else. So it's super nice for those last minute changes and takes the pressure off of you, right? The next thing I recommend adding is a resources slide at the very end of your deck and include any of the external references that you're using in your talk or that you plan to mention. This is by far the number one pe reason that people will ask me if the deck is going to be available for download. You know, they want to get to the resources that you talk about during your presentation. So um, be sure to make that available and use the resources slide at the very end of your deck with hyperlinks so that they can get right to whatever it is. Uh, L. Let me just take a moment's pause here and see, do we have anything in Q&A yet? One of the questions that we had is around, you know, do you have to use PowerPoint? Is there something else that you recommend like Google uh, Slides or Prezi? Uh, I personally use and recommend PowerPoint. I do not do any work whatsoever with Google for data privacy and protection purposes. For those of you that don't know, um, a huge opponent to Google and Facebook. So I don't allow any of my corporate data into Google servers. So that's up to you. If you want to use Google or Pressy, um, they're both on par, I would say. But Personally speaking, I use the M365 suite from Microsoft with the E5 license for all their Azure security offerings as well. And that's Can I offer an open source offering for you guys? Sure. What do you got? So, I use Reveal.js. Um, if you do command line stuff, it lets you make your slides that way. But they also have slides.com. It's a free service that you can use. 
And it enables you to actually just open source your slides. You can save directly to your GitHub. You can make changes on the fly. And my favorite thing has been that people can pull them up and actually follow along. Like it's moving on their phone. So if they have to sit in the back, they can't see the slides, they have it right there in front of them. And for those of you that are a non-technical part of our audience, which is probably going to be a significant portion, uh, you can explain a lot of that in just go open source means free and it's slides.com. Is that right? Yes. And it's reveal JS. I'll put that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, even if you're not technical, literally you just download it and you start changing sections. So it's a great way for you to be tech. And one of my first talks after using it was how did I use it? So there's a, a topic for you guys to start talking on. There you go. Okay, uh, so getting back into it, and I know Elle is probably going to cringe when I talk about this one, but Elle, I'm going to go with it, and we'll leave it there. But try to avoid using flashy animation, folks. Um, you want your audience to be paying attention to you and the words that are coming out of your mouth, not some flashy, obnoxious kitten licking itself. Uh, also, when we're talking about overly intense flashy let's just call it screen matter you know that can trigger some reactions with folks at a physical level i'm not trying to throw anybody into a seizure y'all uh so seriously try to limit what's going on in the background and this is uh really just trying to maintain that focus trying to connect with your audience you know, having them focus on you, the subject matter, and not all the stuff that's going on behind you. It's a distractor. But again, if you're going to do that, you know, you may want to include trigger warnings on the front end of your deck to let people know there may be some flashing animation. You know, if this is sensitive to you, please be aware. Lastly, is any of the images that you're using your decks, especially at some of these more corporate-like events, make sure that they are unique to you, that you own them, or that they have been properly licensed commercially or using something like the Creative Commons license. Now, this is one of the good things about PowerPoint is that it does make it very easy for you to be able to consume that kind of content um, by simply ticking a box when you select the insert image from online, there's a tick box there for Creative Commons licenses only. So uh, let's continue on. We're getting a little bit tight on time. We'll come back to the demo after to the talk. I wanna be able to include that, but uh, for the purpose of the podcast recording, we're gonna come back to it. So before you talk, some of the things that you need to know you you've perfected your deck you've been selected you got all the right elements it's time to go on stage so what are some of the things that we should be aware of before you take that moment uh first is promoting your talk now some conferences are extremely good at this and others they're extremely bad uh about promoting the speaker's talk so don't depend on them alone to fill the seats in the room, whether that's physically or virtually. Use your social networks to help build up that attendance. Uh, use the conference hashtags if they're available. Be sure to tag the event in your post, right? Give them some recognition. They will then be retweeting or resharing that uh, post. 
use any of the conference hashtags and they may even have a hashtag for your session. If they don't ask them, say, Hey, are, are you guys planning to use hashtags for the individual sessions? They may standardize them. Microsoft does this with a lot of their events now. So if that's a possibility and they provided it, definitely use them, but also consider using some of the social automation tools, things like, uh, Hootsuite or, or, buffer to schedule updates leading up to the events and even on the day of i used hootsuite today to schedule both a linkedin update and a twitter update at noon and got the notifications that those went out and everything's good so it takes all that stress off of you on the day of and up to the minute before you go live to but still being able to socialize get the message out there and remind folks that this thing is happening uh, also use custom sharing links, right? So if it's possible, like with zoom, for example, using this today, I have eight different custom invite links to be able to use depending on how I want to use those. Some of them I send to refers, some of them I use for specific social media platforms so that I can gauge where my registrations are coming from based upon the social media platform. So consider using those mainly to identify who your influencers are and being able to reward them for helping promote you and your talks. I'm just going to tell you folks, challenge coins can go a long way, can't they, Elle? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before you talk, I can't stress this enough, folks. Be sure that you get a good night's sleep before you talk. The last thing you're going to want to do is go out there, close down the bars the night before, waking up the next morning, hungover, dehydrated, basically just hating life. Don't do it to yourself. Trust me. I had to quit drinking about two and a half years ago, but I definitely had those nights. And those of you in the audience that have been with me at some of these industry conferences before, we've probably been there together, but that is no longer the case today. And I'm telling you, it's nighting day between getting up uh, that next day and having to give a presentation. I don't know how I pulled it off before, but uh, you're not going to be on your best game, folks. So try to get a really good night's sleep the night before. Now, my wife will laugh at me for even putting this one on the screen, avoid caffeine. But uh, really, when you get on stage, you're going to get hyped up, you're going to have that adrenaline rush, and you're not going to need the caffeine, trust me. Uh, all it's going to do is start giving you the jitters, some shakes, sweating, don't do it to yourself, just lay off the caffeine. Uh, also, because you know, frankly, before you go on stage, be sure to relieve yourself. Uh, you last thing you want is to be drinking a lot of water, a lot of coffee, go on stage in about 10 minutes into your talk, you realize, Oh, I gotta go pee. And that's all you can think about for the next 50 minutes while you're on that stage for one hour. So don't do it folks. Uh, make sure you take care of your business, so to speak. Also, prescription medications. You know, when you're leaving the hotel room or leaving the house, if it's a local event that morning, be sure whatever medications you're going to need for that entire day and into the evening that you have taken with you. I'm on, 
well, I'm an insulin dependent diabetic and I take about 16 pills a day for my neurological disorder. I have to have all those in a pill pack form on me every single day of these week long conferences because I'm leaving the hotel room sometimes as early as six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. And sometimes I'm not getting back until one, two, three o'clock the following morning. So uh, depending on what's happening, the closing parties, the customer dinners, all those kinds of things, it can take you into the late hours of the evening. So be sure that if you do have any medications that you're taking those with you. All right, so while on stage, number one, dress appropriately for the event. You know, the, to Elle's point, it's perfectly fine to have your own style. For example, my style when I was presenting, and Elle, I, you may even remember this from the first time that you and I met at that first B-Sides in the Speaker's Lounge. Uh, I was wearing a baby blue blazer with a black t-shirt underneath a pair of jeans and white kicks. That was my look. That's what I did. I always wore a sport jacket, some kind of t-shirt, a pair of jeans, and these white kicks. I mean, pearl white kicks. It stood out. That was my style. I would switch up the jacket, you know, but it was always a jacket, a t-shirt, jeans, and white shoes. That was my look. Elle has her brand, but just make sure that you're dressing for success. So you know your audience, that so you're okay and connecting. You don't want to be that guy wearing a three-piece suit in front of a DEF CON event. Uh, you're going to lose your audience the moment you take that stage, and you will get folks standing up and walking out on you. They're going to think it's another bullshit sales and marketing pitch, and that's not what they want. Uh, similarly, that look would go over very well at an event like Gartner or RSA. You know, that's the audience. Uh, so play to your audience, know who they are, and there's no nothing wrong with catering to them. You want to connect. And it. I, I disagree with Elle to a certain extent. I don't think it's changing who you are. Who you are is who you are. The clothes that you wear, it's an extension. Um, and I... I will wear everything from like what I told you already to what the conferences ask, as long as it's somewhat reasonable. Uh, have a backup. I can't tell you how many times I've run into issues with conference organizers and the equipment or the room where it simply won't work or doesn't work with my rig. They've had bad HDMI cables, mic failures, whatever, you know, if you if it can happen, I've seen it, folks. So nowadays, I travel with my own cables, mic system. I've got wireless mics. I don't like having to use a handheld one. So if I walk into the room and they hand me a mic like that, I ask them right there if they have a wireless option available. If they don't, then it's going to get pretty uh, icky for me. I don't like having my hands held or having to stand behind a podium which is even worse. Uh, but I also keep my, my slide deck on a separate USB. You never know what's going to go wrong with their equipment or the organizers mixing up the slides, those kinds of things. So always make sure that you have your, your deck on your USB key, that it's the latest version of it. it trust me, folks, it's 
more often than not that I've run into issues in that regards. Also, if you don't, if you don't think that you could give your talk completely without any audio visual whatsoever, let's just say that there's a massive AV, AV failure and everything goes out. You know, could you still go on stage and give that talk without having your PowerPoint deck there? If you can't, then you may want to also make sure that you have a printed copy of the pages with your notes. Um, just a little tip. So keep that in mind. Another thing is invest in a clicker. Make sure that you're able to move about the stage that you're provided without having to be locked into your laptop just to be able to hit the next key, right? Or down arrow, whatever. Invest in a $15 clicker. You can get them all day on Amazon. Like I said, 10, 15 bucks. And move about, move around the stage. Make the audience have to trace you with their eyes. It keeps them locked in, keeps them focused, keeps them engaged with you. And it makes you seem more human and get you out from behind that damn podium, out from behind that laptop. Let's them know that you're a real person, right? And it's also meaning that you know your subject matter, that you're able to talk to it without having to constantly stare at the screen. So keep that in mind, move about, keep your hands free. Uh, I'm not saying wave them around like a mad person, but keep them free. They will say, keep your palms facing upwards, you know, to show your openness. Don't cross your arms. And for Pete's sake, keep your hands out of your pockets, folks. Don't walk around with your hands in your pockets, whether if that's in your jeans or you ladies with a dress, take your hands out, keep them free. It's showing your openness. Lastly, and I cannot say this enough. In fact, I'm going to spell it out for you folks. P A. S-S-I-O-N, passion. Do not be that ass that sits on stage, takes up people's time, makes them have to choose between your talk or another, and you're just sitting up there talking like this in a monotone voice. They can barely hear you, and you have no passion. Folks, when you're on stage, it's game on time. Bring your passion, get excited, share that enthusiasm with them. The best speakers in the world are those with passion. They excite their audiences. They open their eyes. They give them that aha moment, right? That, that makes them wake up and say, okay, I get it. This is it. You know, if you can't be passionate about what you're presenting, then how can you expect them to be? You know, so be passionate about it. From that, you're going to build a following. These folks will want to see you present time and time again. You're going to be looked at in a different way. They're going to start to see you as an authority figure, as a, a leader, you know, someone that they want to emulate. You're going to start building your own personal brand, being asked back to present at these events again and looked at as an industry expert. So bring the passion. That's what folks are looking for. Now, after your talk, and this is going to have to get close to wrapping up time. L, if you don't mind just taking a moment to prioritize our Q&A panel. I got Thank you. you. Thank you. 
So after a talk, be sure to give the audiences a way to follow up with you, whether if you're talking by email, you know, adding you through social networks, using a custom hashtag like what we are using today with Winning Talks. You know, just give them some way of coming back, whether that's through questions or through amplifying your message and giving you props for teaching them something new or giving them this little insight or a new product that you talked about on stage, whatever the case, give them some way of being able to engage with you, right? Uh, now, one of the things that you may want to do is use a custom email address just for this purpose so that you're not overly exposing yourself, right? So you can use something like pseudomail, protonmail, gmail, any of these things and just set up one maybe with whatever the hashtag is that you're using because you should try to find a unique hashtag that isn't being collided, so to speak, with a lot of other topics and trends that are going on out there. So if it is unique, probably it will show up as an available email address on some of these providers' networks. Uh, next, after your talk, be sure to break down your equipment and get away from that speaking stage area as quickly as possible. That's out of courtesy for the next speaker that's coming up behind you and the organization, the conference organization itself. You know, it's very rude to take up time into the next presenter spot and the conference organizers hate their sessions going late there could be for some of these larger events that are in vegas and stuff if that stuff starts to layer on and layer on throughout the day 10 minutes here 15 minutes here 20 minutes there that starts to add up into overtime for union-based workers at these conference halls uh, so it gets to be incredibly expensive for the conference organizers as well so be sure that when you're done talking you move off to the side anybody that's there that wants to have that one-on-one -on -one dialogue with you whether if they just want to come up and shake your hand because they've been following you on twitter or you've connected on linkedin and they want to meet you in person shake your hand thank you whatever maybe they want to ask you questions about about what you presented that they weren't comfortable with talking about on stage or uh, excuse me in front of the audience give them that opportunity but politely ask them to step aside if it's going on too long and now you're encroaching on the next presenter's slot ask them to follow you out into the hallway or into another room so that you're able to have that one-on-one -on -one with them but not being rude to the next presenter these next two items I cannot stress enough, folks, and it's what's going to help you develop your skills, improve your public presenting, is reviewing your own talk. Most of these organizations that are hosting these events are going to allow for some type of recording. Some may not, depending upon what's being covered, what the topic is, who the presenters are, et cetera, but most of them do allow recording. If they provide that for you, take advantage of it review your own session, watch yourself talking. Maybe you have to do it a couple times to be able to pick up on it, but see where there's room for improvement. See the things that you did really good at as well and try to amplify those and repeat those, but also pick up on the things that may need a little bit of dusting off or improving. Um, lastly, read your emails. If the conference does ask the attendees to review each, each session, they are most likely going to share those results with you and may even include the contents of the comments that were made. If that's the case, go ahead and do it, but just be thick skin, folks. Um, 
these audience members are going to be harsh and brutal and unrelenting when it comes to their feedback. You have to be prepared for it. But they're also going to be amazing, wonderful, gratifying, and awesome folks when you do really well, too. So take that into consideration. L, as we're getting close towards the end, let's go ahead and see what we have. I'm going to cover the virtual event considerations. I know we're running a few minutes over here. I'm sorry, folks. We had a lot of material to get through. I hope you'll be able to stick around for just a couple more minutes. But virtual event considerations, some of the things, uh, obviously, we're mixing a combination of the video and slide here today, helping engage with you guys, let you see that I am a real person. I'm not just some speaker box like your local McDonald's drive through uh, avoiding distra distracting backgrounds. You know, if I switch this on to the TV right now, it would be real distracting to have friends and whatnot, uh, you know, Chandler, Ross, and Rachel all, you know, sitting there in their coffee shop. I have a nice background. It's working, but it's not overly distracting. It's just like I was talking about earlier with flashy animations. We're seeing this done a ton in company meetings and even webinars today with zoom and virtual backgrounds and everything that folks are doing it's really distracting folks it takes away from the attention on you and it's more focused on what's going on in the background if that's your your value then fine go with it but i recommend trying to keep a still background it can be beautiful i think this is a great image going on right now but it doesn't have to be distracting uh, test your audio, video, and lighting. I think this works out pretty well. If you were actually where I'm sitting right now, it's real dark in here, actually. Uh, looking past this camera, it's very dim, but it looks pretty decent from what I'm seeing on here. If you agree that the lights look good, will you please let me know in the, in the chat? I, I'm really kind of interested to see if I've finally got all this lighting down packed. Elle, what do you think? Does it look good? Are we seeing comments in chat? Um, it, I think it looks great. And you know what a snob I am about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. The next thing is go hardwired if you're able to, when it comes to your internet connection, try to avoid the burps that can happen with Wi-Fi connections. I'm sure you folks know what I'm talking about. So if you have that capability of being able to hardwire into your router, particularly with us having to do all this work from home stuff with COVID and stuff, uh, try to go hardwire if possible. It's going to save you a lot of headache if you end up having some issues uh, with Wi-Fi connections and the kids at home, uh, you know, want to do their Xbox Live stuff. Lastly, as far as virtual conference considerations, close other app services, mute your phones, be sure they're on do not disturb. Same thing for things like smart watches, your home automation devices. You know, the last thing you want to do is be given a talk about IoT security. And every time you mention the word Alexa, she pops up and starts responding, right? So uh, keep that in mind, but also try to disable the applications and services that may be running. You don't want a bunch of system noises, sounds, alarms, et cetera, going off while you're trying to present. That is so distracting. And I hate it when presenters are in a Zoom meeting and 
they're presenting a topic and you can hear their Outlook new mail notifications going off. So be sure you're closing all those apps, shutting down services. If you present a lot like Elle and I do, consider writing a PowerShell script or uh, using something like AutoIt to be able to automate that. And all you'll have to do is double click on that go live, you know, dot PS file. And it runs a script that automatically closes all those things for you. So just a little tip if you're planning to do a lot of pres presentations. All right, lastly is tools of the trade. This is the list of equipment that I used for this along with the Cyber Speaks Live podcast series. So if I have it up here on screen, it's something that I'm willing to put my name behind because I use it, I trust it, and I'm saying, yeah, go for it. The ones that have links, uh, those are the specific things that I talked about that you can get right to uh, the presentation clicker that I mentioned. Like I said, it was 15 bucks on Amazon. I did look at that. I have a link to the specific uh, wireless mic set that I use. And then AutoIt is that scripting tool that I just mentioned. So uh, let me, I just realized that I was not talking to the slide. So there it is for you folks. These are all the things that I am currently using. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to L. Give my voice a rest here for a second. L, how are we looking in the chat and Q&A? I think we're doing good. One of the best questions, well, it's not the best question. I shouldn't say that. But one of the best questions I saw was, how do you overcome that initial fear? You know, getting over that, I'm not going to do well, all the self-doubt and actually submitting your CFP. You know, the best way to do it is hit submit, right? Because once you've hit that submit button, guess what, folks? You can't take it back. It's already in the queue. And the only thing you could do at that point is try to find a contact for the conference itself and tell them that you've retracted it. Otherwise, they're going to put it through the consideration process. And if you get selected, now you're on the hook and you're forced to motivate yourself to do it. And sometimes that's just what you need is to give yourself a kick in the ass and make it to where you're forced to get out there and do it. I was forced to get out there and do it because I was one of the conference organizers. And Stephen told me, I'm paying for this. You're going to speak. So I put it out there to begin with. He's paying for it. I asked for it. So sure enough, it got me through it. And I realized that, yeah, that first five minutes sucked and I hated life and I wanted to crawl underneath the closest and deepest hole I could find. But I came out, I saw the light and, you know, I've been able to present hundreds of times since then and really enjoyed the experience. So just force yourself to do it, take the plunge. Yeah, I would add to that is you don't have to do it alone. Um, I do a lot of mentoring. So one of my talks every season has a new speaker to it and we write, we present together. Um, yeah, if you have somebody that you know that already speaks, ask them to write a talk with you or look for a conference that does lightning talks where you're only speaking 10 to 15 minutes. There is nothing wrong with dipping your toes in the water before you say, okay, I'll give a 45 minute hour long talk. Absolutely, absolutely. Even a lot of the major conferences are starting to adopt those lightning rounds where, like Ella was saying, it's 15, 20 minutes. And for example, the last Microsoft Ignite, they were actually doing these lightning talks in the hallways and stuff. Ignite talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There you go. Okay. What else do we um, have? 
So when it comes to virtual conferences, and I think we'll probably differ on this one, is how, what should you be doing? Should you be standing to present it? Should you be sitting to present it? You know, that's, that's up to the individual. Uh, L likes to stand, standing desks are awesome. If it wasn't for my neurological disorder, I'd be standing right now, probably. I like to be able to stand, talk, move about a little bit, and I would have the capability of doing that if it wasn't for my physical disabilities. So that's the only reason I sit when I'm presenting. Now, if I were giving an in-person event, I, yes, I would be standing up and using my cane. But you know, for this kind of stuff, I, I do what I do right now. You're going to laugh because if you're a new speaker, I would say start sitting down. There is way too much going on when you're standing. I'll start talking. I'll move off, realize I'm not in camera. Um, I'll start speaking with my, my hands and looking uh, elsewhere. So for your first talk, I would say sit down, look at the computer, let your natural energy flow because the last thing I get off camera and suddenly I'm like, oh God, and I'm flustered and I'm trying to get back to where I'm going. So that's kind of where I'd be like until you develop your own style. Like you guys see me fidgeting and moving, but I'm comfortable with that. See, and I, I see the standing only meaning standing at desk, right? Mm -hmm. Not moving about because you also have to be cautious of audio, right? And well, yeah. if you're not using a wireless mic system, then as soon as you move away from that laptop, your sound's going to go to shit real quick. Yep. And that's exactly what I've seen at a lot of conferences is people, you know, step back, they move, they're not adjusted to where they were. And I'm like, well, I, I have no idea what you're saying. So you're typing in the chat and they're looking elsewhere. They're looking at their hands and they're not seeing chat going, we can't hear you. I've had to train myself to look forward, use eye movement only to be able to focus on my other screens because with this particular mic being a high-end sure sm58 studio condenser it it is looking right here it doesn't use omni sound recording so if i'm not right here which is why you see this right in front of my face then the slightest movement of my head will affect the audio that's coming off in a as a podcast recorder i've noticed that in my headset as um, doing the post prod editing. So be cautious of that. Make sure that when you are presenting virtually that you're consistent with how the audio is being recorded, that you're facing the same way, you're the roughly the same distance from the system each time you're presenting so that you know what the audio quality is going to be like on the other end. Okay, how do you adjust the environment specifically if the conference is virtual? What tips can you give for a conference speaker that will be doing a talk virtually? Ask Ian. And you know, some of the things that you can do, uh, if you don't have a background environment that you're comfortable with, go out there and spend the $20, $30 on getting a good quality green screen and using some of the virtual backgrounds that come with products like Microsoft Team or Zoom or whatever the other platforms are out there, uh, that will help with the environment. Now, if you're talking sound stuff, that's a little bit more tricky because of echoing and crisp, 
glass sounding effects that can happen depending upon the conditions of the room you're in. If you don't have anything on your walls, if you have hardwood floors, these are some of the things that are going to cause that audio effect echoing and you sounding so crisp at times that it sounds like your voice is breaking glass. So for that, you can try using soundproofing foam, or if you don't want anything permanent like that, you can use, I, I've seen folks use towels with push pins into the wall just to try to dampen the sound a bit. So those are some of the things that you could think about as well. Could I admit where I speak at? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have a big closet. I mean, it's not huge. I have a little table in my closet. I'm facing my clothes when I'm speaking and I have a green screen behind me just on the wall. And so all of the sound is absorbed and all they see is me in a green screen. Nobody knows I'm there, but the sound quality is amazing. Yeah. And I, I've definitely been locked in a closet before myself. In fact, Elle's locked me in a closet in her old uh, <laughs> office before. I had to take advantage of her office space to record some of the early Cyber Speaks Live podcasts, and she was gracious enough to help and lock me in a closet where I could have my privacy, so to speak. Okay, uh, let's see. What about the one about leaving everyone's camera on? Would that count as engaging? That That's Ellen? what I was just looking at. I don't know who is meant by everyone. Everyone in the audience or all the panelists and presenters that are speaking. So if you could elaborate on that audience, no, I can't trust the audience. Don't know what's going to be happening in the background or foreground. Uh, we've all heard about the zoom bombings and everything else. So I'm not going to trust what could end up appearing on somebody's webcam inside of an event that I'm speaking at or that I am producing. That could just be mortifying. I think it would be awesome if you could give a talk on how to create an InfoSec presentation in one of the future talks. I'm sure most folks are struggling with this like me. How to create an InfoSec presentation. I will get with you on that offline. Let's talk about that a little bit deeper and get a sense of what it is that you're looking to accomplish there. And I'm happy to entertain it, maybe bring it into the Cyber Speaks Live or doing something else differently. Okay, so it looks like we have wrapped up the questions that are in the panel. We've got about 12, 13 attendees still hanging around. Thank you so much. I know it's about 15 after the hour. I hope you've been able to find at least a few tips in this session to be able to help you. If you feel encouraged in the slightest way, will you just say something positive in the chat? Just say yes, thumbs up, whatever the case may be. If this has been of any help to you today, I would deeply appreciate being able to hear that from you. Similarly, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can use the hashtag winning talks. My handles are at InfoSecWar and at CyberSpeaksLive. You can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And I've got that URL shown on the screen. If you want to subscribe to the CyberSpeaksLive podcast, 
we use our distribution partner, Anchor FM. So you can go to anchor.fm forward slash Cyberspeaks Live and uh, subscribe for um, your favorite podcast platform from the links that are available there. Other than that, today's deck is available for you to download up to the minute using that integration that I talked about earlier with my Dropbox account using a tinyurl.com custom link. So tinyurl.com forward slash winning dash talks. And you can download the PDF along with the resources page, all the links and the reference to today's material. With that, folks, my name is Duncan Macklin. I am InfoSec War on Twitter. This has been another episode of Cyber Speaks Live. I appreciate you being a part of our live online audience for each one of these episodes. And next week, I am hoping, hoping to get some of the co-authors of the Tribe of Hackers Blue Team Edition Yes, folks, the blue team edition. This one is the protectors and defenders of the world, which I am so grateful and honored to be one of the co-authors of. But we're going to try to do a blue team edition episode for next week. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. And until then, thank you, everyone, for your time today. I greatly appreciate it. Keep the conversation going. Use that hashtag winning talks. Take the plunge. Make yourself vulnerable. Get out there. Give your first talk. Um, there'll be nothing else like it. I assure you that. So thank you, everyone. We're out. <laughs>